Revelation 12:11 And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. Welcome to by the word of their testimony and here is your host Etienne McClintock. Dear listener, greetings and a warm welcome. Thank you for joining us again on the program today. I'm delighted to have your company. This is a program where we share the life journeys of people like you and me who have gone through challenges and trials and opportunities. And through the providence of God, their lives have been impacted for good and for God's glory, and their lives have been changed. Now, I have a very special guest with me, but not in the studio as we normally do. We actually have a guest joining us all the way from the beautiful islands of New Zealand. And from Ivercargill, New Zealand, via Skype, is joining me Dr. Thomas Joseph. Thomas, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. It's a real pleasure. Now, we've met previously via a mutual friend of ours and uh, became acquaintances on Facebook a few years ago. And then recently I had the pleasure of staying with you and your wife and family on your property just outside of Invercargill uh, when we were doing a week of prayer over there at Wicklaw Street, Seventh-day Adventist Church. And that was just wonderful to meet you and also your young son, Jeremy. But perhaps you could just tell us a little bit more about what you do, your wife does, and a little bit about your family. So I'm a GP. Um, I work at a practice here. I also work at the hospice in Invercargill. I have a lovely and supportive wife. Her name is Reen. Mm. And I have two boys, uh, Joshua and Jeremy. Uh, so Reen just finished her doctorate, and she teaches at the nursing school here. Joshua is 15, and Jeremy is 8. Right. Okay. And yeah, he's a wonderful young a young boy. I remember in the mornings, you know, him coming around to the property or the place where we were staying at around about 6.30 in the morning and uh, wanting to join us for a walk. And it was wonderful to get to know your family. We had some beautiful meals together and, and some good social time and some great discussions. But Thomas, just as we... Uh, as we uh, uh, start getting into the interview a little bit more and, and you sharing a testimony. I am intrigued by your name, Thomas Joseph, because I know that you're not from uh, from England or anywhere where they'd use a typical English name. Now, you're originally from India, but where does the name Thomas come from? Okay, so I was, I'm from Kerala originally. So my father, he's from Kerala and it's my great privilege to have been born in a Syrian Christian uh, family. So Syrian Christians are a group of uh, people who share the heritage where our ancestors were converted by Thomas, the disciple. So this, this goes 2000 back 2,000 years. Wow. That's right. And so uh, during Jesus' time, there was a lot of trade going on um, between India and um, the Middle East, you mm. know, Israel and all that. And there were a few Jews who had settled there, traders, and perhaps there were some Middle Eastern people there. And um, history is not 
very clear, but we think that a few of these Jews and perhaps some Indian priests uh, became Christians. And, and their descendants uh, then lived in India for the past 2,000 years, and that's where I come from. And in our culture, we uh, have a surname. So I've got a surname, which is not, I don't think you know about it. Oh, okay. It's Ch- yes, yeah, Varatra. So it's a bit of a tongue twister. So we keep It's it not out. as easy as Joseph. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> and Joseph is my dad's name. So ah. we are known by a family name first, and then the father's name, so son of Joseph. Mm. And then the last, uh, when it comes to our identity, is our name. So my name is Thomas. So okay. we left the Thomas Joseph and kept the Chiram Verum Varthra out of it. Chiram Verum Varthra. I don't know if I got that right, but it, 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 it will take a bit of practice to get that pronounced properly. <laughs> so, okay, so you're a descendant then through a line of Christians that goes back about 2,000 years to the disciple, the evangelist Thomas, and they mm-hmm. were named Syrian Christians. And then through your dad's line, you guys continued that Christian tradition. Now, were you always Seventh-day Adventists? No, my my dad and his family had uh, become, uh, or rather, became Catholic uh, around the time when Vasco da Gama uh, and the Portuguese came. And there was an Inquisition kind of a situation in Kerala where the Christians were forced to accept uh, the Catholic faith. So that's what, around 15th century, somewhere around there, 14th, 1500s? Yeah, that's right, 15th century. So my grandparents and my forefathers uh, were Catholics from then on, but my father had moved to Calcutta, which Hmm. is in the east of there, yeah, for work. And there, by some miraculous ways, he got in touch with our faith, the Adventist faith, and he became an Adventist. He went to Spicer Memorial College and decided to be a minister. So he became a minister. Wow. Okay, so what age would you have been when your dad became a pastor? I'm When he got baptized, I was a few months old. Um, and then when he became a pastor, I must have been about four or five years old when we went to a very remote village where he was posted um, as a pioneer evangelist. Okay, so your dad is an evangelist and a pastor. So you experienced life uh, in different parts. Did you guys move around often? Oh, very much. Every few years we had to move. And my first few years, when I was three, four, five years old, um, and you know, six, seven as well, we, we used to live in villages, very remote villages. And the village kids were my friends. So I grew up with them. I ate with them. I played with them. I, I was... I used to get filthy in the mud and, mm-hmm. um, you know, do all that with them. So I have kind of come to see poverty at a very close uh, level, which was has been very good because I understand to a degree what poverty does and what it means. Mm. And I guess poverty out in, in India is a different level of what we consider poverty in Western countries. Absolutely, yes. Mm. If you have one meal a day, you're blessed. Oh, really? Wow. Hmm. So uh, on your dad's side, obviously, from the time you can pretty much remember, you were a Seventh-day Adventist. Your mum was a Seventh-day Adventist as well. And um, was there any difficulties with being a Christian or being a Seventh-day Adventist Christian in India at that time? Was there challenges? Were there threats? I mean, was it dangerous? 
Certain parts, yes, uh, definitely. Uh, there were threats also from other Christians. Because uh, I remember when my father uh, was working at this remote village in West Bengal, there were other Christians, the Protestants and the Catholics, they kind of were very upset with the Adventist message that was being preached. And uh, there were several times when people had come together to try to kill my father. These are, the, say, these, are, these are Christian people trying to kill your father? That's right. They were Christians. Oh. Um, mm. So it, it was a dangerous place, uh, and there were decoits, and there were uh, antisocial elements, but God was so gracious. He protected my dad, and he saved him several times. And um, I grew up seeing him uh, take these, you know, tell Bible stories with this large, I don't know if you remember this Bible uh, rolls that they had, the big charts that you could roll pictures. Okay, of. yes, I do remember those, yeah. Yeah, so he would tell stories to the village kids in the evening, and their parents would come, and then he would start telling them things from the Bible. And we would have a little hurricane lamp with some pet uh, kerosene, not petrol. Hmm. And uh, that would give the brightness and light there. And he would teach them about what we believe. And we had a small little church that was formed by his efforts and then a school as well. So I grew up thinking that life was about preaching God's word because um, that's what my dad did. Uh, okay, so that was the example you had and you think that's what we did for a living and that's what life was all about. It's, it's, it's a that's wonderful right. picture of seeing the, the, I guess, the gospel commission in action. So, look, I also know that uh, you've, you mentioned to me that your grandmother also, your maternal grandmother, was also an Adventist. That's right. So she's a, she was a second-generation Adventist. My great-grandfather had become an Adventist. I do not know all the details, hmm. but I do know that my grandmother also had trained to be a nurse, and she was a very pious woman. My grandfather, unfortunately... Uh, never became an Adventist, and mm. he was quite opposed to Adventism. Um, my grandmother, on the other hand, was a lovely Christian lady, very tender, very kind, and the neighbors would call her anytime someone was unwell, and she would go there and minister to them. She would pray with them, and she would take me. So my memories of her is of a lovely frail lady who would pray with you know in a broken voice and sing songs and and she would tell me stories and she was the one who would always tell me that I had to become a doctor when I grew up oh, and really? she was yeah she put that thought into me hmm. that I need to be a doctor I must have been five or seven at that time yeah five or seven okay right so uh subsequent to that i mean where did you start your schooling was there a christian school to go to or did you just go to a a government school what was the uh, the setup for you when you started schooling so um because my father was working out in the northern remote areas and unentered territories if you could put it that way there were no adventist schools when i was a small child okay and so I had to get into, at one place, it was a Catholic school uh, run by nuns. And um, I remember a particular incident um, where there was, a, there, is, there was a nun, and she was a wonderful lady, very caring, very nice, and she, she took a special interest in me. Uh, but she was not happy that I did not come to school on Saturdays. And, you know, the Sabbath, we would go to church, obviously. And um, so on Monday, when we went to school, as the 
as sister, um, the nun would come into the class. She would um, say, good morning, class. And he would say, good morning, sister. And she would say, all of you can sit down except Thomas. Oh. And yes, and I knew that that was going to be a difficult time because she would call me to the front of the class and she would say, why did you not come to class on Saturday? And I would say, um, sister, I had to go to church. And she would say, rubbish. You don't go to church on Saturday. You go to church on Sunday. And I would stand there quiet. The next thing she would say, put your hands out, please. And I would do that. She would have a stick with her from the cupboard. She would take it out. And I, and she would hit me on the knuckles. And that was very painful. Oh, I could imagine. And this happened. Yes, yes, very painful. And this happened uh, week after week. And it was so embarrassing. Mm. But... What happened, though, that experience that I went through actually made me um, become more, uh, you know, I wanted to be more loyal to what we believed in. And yes. I was not going to go to school on Sabbath. And that made me kind of stubborn. And, and what I didn't realize, that God was preparing me for far greater trials when I went into medical school. Right. Okay. So that was sort of like a make and break time, but instead of making you weaker, it actually made you stronger and more determined to stand up for your faith and your loyalty to God. That's that's right. That's wonderful. So uh, subsequent to that experience, uh, was there anything else significant that happened in your life? Well, uh, when I was about twelve, my father uh, conducted evangelism, um, you know, outreach, and there were quite a few people who came forward to get baptized. And I was inspired. I wanted to get baptized. I was just about 12 years old. And um, I don't recommend that we tell our children who are 10 and 12 to get baptized. But it worked out well for me because mm -hmm. after I got baptized, I got this idea in my head that now I couldn't be naughty anymore. And okay. that kept me away from a lot of trouble. Wow. And then um, when I was 14 years old, we moved to another town and uh, this was an Adventist school, but there were very few Adventist kids in there. And uh, I met some lovely uh, boys, Hindu boys, who were my classmates. And they looked up to me, and they kind of put me up on a pedestal. You know, they, I overheard them saying once, you know, Thomas would never say that. Thomas would never do that. And so it dawned on me that uh, these boys really looked up to me. And they, they thought, because I was a Christian, I had to behave in a certain way. And so that, um, you know, inspired me to be a good boy and in vote, you know, in court. Really. <laughs> okay. Um, but then I realized I was being a hypocrite. Mm. But then I had no choice. I had no choice. I had to put up this um, image of a really good boy. But you know what happened because of that? As I every day made an effort to be good and godly, I started changing. You know, I started doing things which I wouldn't do otherwise. And it was because I knew I was being watched and people looked up to me. And I praise God for that situation as well. Wow. Okay. So some good came out of it, although you're saying you were sort of feeling like you're a little bit of a hypocrite and maybe faking it a little bit. That actually caused you to lift the standard, raise a standard anyway. Did it also have an effect on your schoolwork and that? Yes, it did. I had to work harder to prove myself. Okay. <laughs> you see, my my friends, uh, these Hindu boys, you know, they 
their parents could afford to send them for private tuitions. So they went for all kinds of private tuitions and studies so that they could do well in exams. But my father was only a pastor, and you know, pastors um, were not the richest people, of sure. course. Mm. And so I had to work myself and work really hard. And I look back now, Etienne, and I see how God, through all these you know, experiences, was preparing me for something far bigger as I grew older and went into medical school. Mm, okay, that makes sense. Now, you were baptized around the age 12. Uh, did you have quite a good grasp of uh, the teachings of the Bible, you know, salvation through Jesus uh, and the prophecies and so on? Oh, no, no. I I had a child's faith, obviously. I, I, I knew Jesus, and I knew he loved me, and I had to give my heart to him, and I had done that. Hmm. Um, I I didn't quite understand, um, you know, things like justification and sanctification and, and the thousand years and Ellen White and what she wrote. I, I understood second coming. I understood Sabbath. But what God did was when I was about 16, hmm. uh, I had to go through a book uh, in school called Principles of Life from the Word of God. I don't know if you ever heard of this book. This was... Uh, put out by the General Conference Department of Education. It is a study of our doctrines. And so I had to go through this as part of my uh, school work. You know, we had to go through the Bible classes, all the other students had to. And so that was a wonderful, um, you know, opportunity for me to learn our doctrines, which prepared me to be, you know, me more grounded in what we believed and also to face heresies that kept sweeping over our churches and still does, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay, so wonderful grounding about the age of 16. So you were you were starting to learn quite a lot, and I guess compared to the average 16-year-old, you were quite knowledgeable regarding scriptures if you went through all those doctrines at that age. Yes, um, I, I praise God for that. He gave me those opportunities. And this is what amazes me as I look back in my life. God made things happen, you know, mm. unknown to me. He was preparing the grounds, and I never knew it. I was just going through life. Yes, I prayed, and I had given my life to the Lord, and I had I used to pray, but I never at that time understood why these things were happening. Mm. And the other thing that changed my life was that my dad decided to give me a Bible as a gift um, when I was about 16, 17 years old. Okay. And I found in that Bible there was a plan to read the Bible through in a year. And so I said, well, I'm going to read the whole Bible in a year. Not because I love to read the Bible, no, mm -hmm. but because, you know, I just wanted to do it. It was it was like a challenge yes. for me to be through. And so I did. But obviously, you know, what would be the result if you read the scriptures every day? It changes your life, doesn't and it? I was, that's right. That's right. Things started making sense. Things that I didn't understand before started to, you know, come through my head. I say, oh, all right. Now I get that. And another beautiful thing happened around that time, uh, as I was growing up, uh, I was, must have been 17, uh, nearing 18, I decided to do an exam that is conducted by the church in India for Adventist students okay. before they get into university. And, um, and the textbook for that exam, one of the textbooks is Desire of Ages. Mm. So uh, you see, growing up as a pastor's kid, I was surrounded by the... Spirit of Prophecy books, Ellen White books, all around me. But I had never taken time to read any of them. 
Right. And now, because I had to do this exam, I picked up the Desire of Ages. I had to. It was the textbook, and I couldn't put it down. Mm. It was beautiful, beautiful. And I, I came to see Jesus in a light I had never seen before. Mm. And when I went through the crucifixion part, I wept, and I wept. And I thought, my Lord has done so much for me. Mm. It, it was amazing. You know, it was amazing to understand how wonderful, how amazing God is and what he's done for us. And so I then went on to read the Steps to Christ, the Ministry of Healing. And around that time, someone gave me a gift. It was a volume which had all the books of Ellen White, um, you know, put together. I won't wow. say all the books, quite a few of the books books, mm. important ones that we read in the Conflict of Ages series and Ministry of Healing, Christ Object Lessons, and so on. Yes. And so I started reading, and I took the challenge. I said, I'm going to read the book, uh, this whole volume from the page one on, and finish the whole thing. And so I started reading, and then someone else gave me a gift, and that was a book on the sanctuary. Oh, that was amazing. Mm. I couldn't believe all that I'd read through, you know, the Bible, the, the boring parts, as some people say, yeah. you know, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Exodus. And, and I, as I read through the sanctuary, I said, wow, this is fabulous. I couldn't believe there were such beautiful truths hidden in the sanctuary. Mm. So it sounds like that was a real blessing and you got a really solid grounding um, while you were still in your high school years. That's right. And that continued as I went into medical school. Um, and, and it was great because because I had read these things when I went into medical school and was surrounded by classmates. Now, these were not Adventists. It was a non-Adventist institution, obviously, mm. in India. And they were into drugs and alcohol and movies and fornication and you name it, all the vices that were that possibly could be. And we had people from all over the world. It was an international, um, you know, place where people came from all over the world. So um, I was exposed to all kinds of things. But mm. because uh, I had gone through the Word of God uh, as a teenager, I knew what was right and wrong. Mm. And that, you know, kept me from getting into trouble. No doubt. So it kept you grounded. And because you understood the Word and you knew more about God's will, you were able to then live according to that will rather than being distracted by the allurements of the world, I guess, and, and what appears to be an exciting life. But we know it's, quite often it just ends up to be a life of misery, and quite often a lot of lives are wrecked through uh, those vices. That's right. Hmm. So as far as church life is concerned now, you're at medical school. How, how did you go with that? So um, at medical school, there were a few Adventist students, and um, we gathered together to worship on Sabbaths, and there were a few who were very God-fearing. There was particularly one person, a senior, uh, who became my mentor. Okay. And, um, you know, I, had, I was stepping into adulthood at this time. I had been under the protection of my father so long, and now I was getting into a world where I had to make my decisions and live my own. And, um, of course, you know, I hadn't matured so much in my head. And here was I trying to teach Sabbath school, take sermons, and interacting with other youth, some of them 24, 30 years old. And obviously, there were ego clashes, there were challenging personalities, there were the politics, as you would call them, mm. um, interactions uh, with the other Adventists. 
um, there were very valuable lessons I learned there. And and some of the heartache I went through uh, was, you know, of my own making because I didn't quite understand. I was filled with zeal, but I didn't know that you need to show love and empathy towards others. I hadn't learned those lessons. And I must tell you, God is still teaching me that. (laughs) I haven't even learned it fully. But I learned, you know, that people will criticize you. People will speak evil about of you. When you try to do God's work, they will accuse you. But that shouldn't put us off. We are to mature and use these as lessons that God is teaching us to prepare us for far greater ministry he has for us. Right, okay. So were you a married student at the time you are going through medical school? No, no. I was uh, 18 when I joined medical school. I must have finished when I was 24. Okay. And soon okay. after <laughs> soon after I finished, my dad wanted to get me married off. I think he was scared I was going to, uh, you know, wander away. Mm. And, um, so uh, he came to know of Reen through a mutual friend of his and Reen's parents. And so um, they arranged uh, for us to get married. Wow, because they were an arranged marriage. That's right. And you guys had known each other previous to this arrangement being made? No, no, we had never met. We never heard of each other. Um, my parents had heard of her parents, but they had not met, is what I understand. Hmm. Um, yeah, so they talked, and they thought it was a good idea. And I was, in, that, in the meantime, praying that God would uh, bring Rebecca to me, just like he brought Rebecca to Isaac. Okay, so you and wanted so your Rebecca as well, just like Isaac did. Okay. <laughs> well, it's a good and, and important prayer. I mean, you, you spend the rest of your life with this person, so it's a, it's a very important relationship. The, the, the most important one next to God. Yes. And God did his job. He he kept his word and his promise. And Rhea is a wonderful, wonderful wife. I could not have done better if I had to choose a wife for myself. Mm. Well, listen, just on that note, we're just going to take a quick break. And then straight after that, we'll come back and we can hear a little bit more about your life and, and Rhea's life um, once you got married. Do you listen to Stay Tuned? We'll be right back after these messages. The words you are about to experience are true. They will change your life if you let them, for they come from the very heart of God. He loves you, and He is the Father you have been looking for all your life. This is His love letter to you. My child, you may not know me, but I know everything about you, for you were made in my image. I have been misrepresented those who don't know me. I am not distant and angry, but am the complete expression of love. Come home and I'll throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen. I have always been father and will always be father. My question is, will you be my child? I am waiting for you. Love, your dad. Almighty God. Father's Love Letter, used by permission, copyright 1999, Father Heart Communications. www.fathersloveletter.com Dear listener, welcome back to By the Word of Their Testimony. I have a special guest with me all the way from Invercargill, New Zealand, down in the deep South Island. 
and he is connecting to us today via Skype. So if you see here the occasional dropout, that is just internet speed, I guess, between Australia and New Zealand. But uh, it's my privilege to have Dr. Thomas Joseph on the line via Skype and to conduct an interview. Now, just before the interview, Thomas, you were telling us about your marriage and how it was arranged marriage about the age of 24, and you were praying that God would send a godly woman into your life, just like Isaac had prayed for a wife, and God sent your Rebecca by the name of Reen. That's right. Yeah. So perhaps you can pick up the story from there and tell us what happened uh, subsequent to that. Yeah, so life was going really well. I was now married to a beautiful girl and I was a doctor and I had the stars in my eyes I was going to conquer the world okay um, <laughs> I obviously wanted to you know get on with my professional life I wanted to be a famous uh, doctor and so on but things were not going to go the way I had wanted because God had other plans okay. and he had valuable lessons to teach me uh, lessons in humility and so on and uh, six months after we got married, I started getting unwell. And uh, one day I was so unwell, I had to get into, was taken into the hospital emergency. They had to do a emergency surgery on me. And uh, I, I was so stunned with what was going on, but no one could figure out what was wrong. Oh. They did a surgery, they cut off some of my bowel and and uh, and then afterwards, when I met the surgeons, I met the pathologist, I met um, various people, uh, doctors, I mean, and my father was distraught. He was taking me from one doctor to another, and no one could give an answer. I was weak as weak could be. I was so unwell. I could barely walk at times. I was in pain and agony. I couldn't eat. I used to love eating my food. You know, uh, I was a non-vegetarian, so I would eat all kinds of meat that was clean, of course, mm. and all the spice and the masala and all that we call all, it. All there. the good Indian food. And, and you guys That's, have very lovely food. <laughs> <laughs> but now I have to stick to very bland, very plain food. And now I look back and God was teaching me lessons. He wanted me to focus on health reform mm. message he had taught us and I had ignored totally. I'd become a doctor. But I had totally ignored this message that God had given to us through Ellen White. And I have learned it. And now, after all these years, I have slowly progressed. And today I'm a vegan. I'm healthier than I was 14 years ago. Wow. Oh, that's amazing. So you had you, you got sick. Were they able to diagnose exactly what was wrong? Because you're saying there was obviously an operation and there was some surgical removal of some of your uh, intestine, I think you were saying? Yes, yes. So some said it was Crohn's, someone else said it was tuberculosis, someone else said something else. So it just wasn't, um, yeah, they never got to anything really. Okay, so there was no definitive diagnosis of what it was. But do you suffer from any of those uh, symptoms now? So what happened is after the surgery, I continued having problems for another seven years. We came to New Zealand, uh, to Auckland, and there I became very unwell. Very unwell, and I had to be rushed into the hospital. And we were, you know, we had just come into the country about three, four months, and uh, I had to undergo uh, be in the hospital for a few days. And we had a huge debt that came up. Um, we are supposed to have got a free medical treatment according to our visa, work visa, but for some technical glitches, 
uh, they said, no, you don't, you're not eligible for it. Mm. So after a five day stunt and four units of blood, uh, we were told uh, you will have to pay $9,400 um, in the next few months. And so we prayed. <laughs> that was yeah. a huge amount of money. Um, anyway, God worked it out. Things were clarified. And then three months later, I was unwell again. Mm. And this time, they had to do a surgery again. So this was my second surgery. Right. And, and after the second surgery, I went to read the Spirit of Prophecy, um, Council on Diet and Health, seriously. And I made serious changes in what I ate and what I did. And now I don't suffer any of the symptoms as long as I'm faithful to what the Spirit of Prophecy tells us. Well, okay. So you're, you're actually remarkably healthy compared to what you were previously. Absolutely. I'm so much more stronger. I feel so much more healthier and so much more focused today than I was when I was in medical school. Mm, well, praise the Lord for that. So, I mean, health reform is obviously very important, not only for our spiritual well-being, but you, you're reaping the benefits from a, a physical perspective as well. That's right. And so there were two things, at least, that I can think of why God allowed me to go through this difficult time. One was, of course, that I would adopt uh, or practice the health message mm. that we should as Adventists, um, and so that I could then effectively uh, you know, pass it on to the community around. And that has been great because in the past few years, my wife and I, along with a few very good friends, we have been doing health seminars and so on at church. Perhaps we can talk about that a bit later. Sure. But the other thing that I found happened was my faith in God, you know, grew stronger. Because the first time I went to the hospital, I went crying and upset and asking, why, Lord? Why have you let this happen to me? Mm. I'm faithful. I have been faithful to you. And when I had to go back again, I said, no, this time I'm not going to go through crying and complaining because God saw me through the first time. He will do this again. Mm. So let me go through saying, yes, Lord, let me see what miracles are going to work for me this time. And you know what? As I went through, sure enough, God was there. He took me through it. And I came out not complaining, not murmuring, but praising God. It was hard. But God showed me how we need to be calm and be still while he leads us. Right. Okay. So when you said God showed you, was it just an impression that he left for you? Or did you, uh, you know, some people sometimes ask for a sign. How did it work for you? <laughs> so as I was about to get into my second surgery, I was sitting, um, you know, waiting for them to come and take me. I was all ready to go. And I, I you know, I started feeling a bit nervous within me. And I said, Lord, show me a sign that you're here with me still. You haven't left me alone. Um, and right at that time, I saw an Adventist doctor whom I'd met before at church uh, walk past. And I cried out. I said, doctor. And she came to me. She said, oh, what are you doing here? And I, of course, explained to her. And she said, I'm in a rush, Thomas, but let me pray for you, she said. Mm. And then she prayed for me. And as she left, I said, Lord, thank you. I needed encouragement and you brought the person even before i finished asking mm, wow god's been faithful mm. so just at the right time when you cried out god show me a sign that you are still with me you have someone that comes and prays and that gives you encouragement to know that there's another believer who's just presented you before the throne and in through intercessory prayer and that just strengthened your faith that's right that's right mm. so that's exciting so uh 
after that operation, uh, you recovered quite well, I take it? Yes, I did. And while I was going through the recovery phase, I said, I need to recommit my life to the Lord again. You know, I, I don't think I've been faithful. God has been faithful, but I have not served him. He has brought me so far, and I need to give my life unconditionally to him. So that's what I did. Mm. And uh, a few months later, I got a call to go to India, um, back to work in a hospital. And so I said, yes, I will do that. So we packed our bags from Auckland, went back to India. We worked there for a few months, and that was very rewarding. And then the hospital wasn't able to continue because of financial constraints and difficulties. So we prayed and we said, Lord, what would you like us to do now? And um, we decided that it would be best for us to come back to New Zealand and get trained so that we can go back and serve um, later on. So we came to Dunedin. My sister was there. And six months after we reached Dunedin, um, I got a job at the university to teach at the medical school. And uh, I did my exams that I need to do to clear through before I could start working in the hospitals here as a doctor. Mm, well, so I've, I've been to the church in Dunedin, and uh, they have quite a few students attend that church. I remember they had quite a, a nice group there who were fairly active at the time. So did you obviously got to meet some of these students? You started getting involved at the church there as well? Oh, yes, I did. So I got called to be uh, to lead out the youth. I was a little older than what you would call youth. I was about 34 or so then. Mm-hmm. And um, so got involved with the youth. Uh, we started doing Bible studies. My wife and I got involved with amazing facts, Doug Bachelor's um, sermons. You know, we were just, oh, wow, this is so beautiful. And as we studied more and more, and, there were, you know, the media is there now so much, you can get in and access sermons and everything that you would like to you don't you don't need to you know rely on going to just camp meetings and so on and and so my wife and I felt a fire within um, to study God's word and that was a time God was preparing me to come to Invercargill because he had some other things in store Mm. in line for us which we did not know okay right so um, you're in, in Dunedin so you end up living in Invercargill eventually. So perhaps you can just close the gap as to how that happened. So um, we decided to have another child. Uh, My oldest uh, son was seven years old, six years old, really. And uh, Vin and I said, let's have another child. And so Jeremy was on the way, my second boy. Hmm. And Reen thought it would be uh, perhaps more convenient if she didn't have to work at night and evening shifts and so on uh, because she was working as a nurse. So she got a job as a nursing tutor at the nursing school here in Invercargill. And so she said, let's go to Invercargill, please, just for one year so I can, you know, get some uh, experience there. I said, all right, I don't want to go to Invercargill. I like the Needham Church. I like the people here. Uh, are you sure, Reen? She said, no, let's go just for a year. And so... I prayed and I was impressed uh, by God. You know, I heard him say it through his word and I was impressed that I needed to go and serve him no matter where and what opportunities he gives me. Mm. And so I said, right, let's go. Let's do what we can there in Invercargill and be a blessing to the church there. So off we came to Invercargill. Okay, so you're in Invercargill now. Did you know any people there at the time? 
Not really. I, I'd heard of some people. I'd heard of someone called Tim, but I'd never met him. And um, I was interested to meet him. And then when I did meet him, you know, I was so taken up by his humility, his gentle manner, his wisdom in dealing with matters, and his love for Jesus. Um, and, you know, and I thought if there's anyone on this earth who reflects the sweetness and character of Jesus, it's Tim. Mm. And I was drawn to him and we became good friends and we are the best of friends today. And uh, we were elected uh, by the church to be elders um, one uh, the year after I arrived. And we did all we could, but we thought that perhaps we could do more if he teamed up. He, he's really good at teaching God's word and in preaching. Um, and he said, Thomas, why don't you do the medical work? And we could team up and we could work and we could evangelize and do what, what we could. Uh, we can as lay members. So we said, right. But I said, Tim, we need a place for that. You know, we need a, um, a place, a venue where we could invite people to. We need a church building, perhaps, Tim. And he said, oh, Thomas, where can you buy church buildings? Now, I won't get into all the details today, Tim, because it's going to take you two hours if I'm going to tell you the whole story. Sure. But, but God, in his you know, great miraculous ways, opened doors. And before long, Tim, uh, who's in charge of a charitable trust called Three Angels Media Limited, was able to buy a church building, which could be used as a church. It was a Salvation Army building that they had sold away. And uh, that building was bought by Three Angels Media Limited. And so that building was available. And soon, around that time, um, we were given the privilege of leading out and planting a church. So we got got involved. We were elders the year before, and the next year the pastor uh, suggested we get involved in planting a little church, another church in Invercargill. So that's how we started um, work as leaders of a church plant. And things have been so exciting as we've seen God working and mm. his miracles here. Well, that's incredible. Look, I that is a little church I attended when we did the week of prayer there in uh, in mid early December. And what a wonderful group of people you have there. There's a lot of people there who are passionate about the Lord and sharing Him. And I just had a great time meeting everybody and, and sharing together in God's Word. So uh, that church there is an interesting little church. Uh, typically, what is your membership there for worship? So we get about 70 to 75 people on a um, Sabbath morning uh, for the divine service. We could have about 50 uh, that includes the children for uh, Sabbath school. And many of these are visitors. Um, and of late, we have some students, international students who have started coming. Um, they come, so we hold for them a special Sabbath school uh, study time where we tell them stories from the Bible and they learn to speak English. Okay. They learn to interact. Yeah, and then they are invited to a lunch after that uh, where they have a vegan meal and they appreciate the food you know, they're students and they're far away from home. And we have uh, people who come from other parts of New Zealand when they visit in Bacargo, they like to come and join us. So that's how our church has been growing over the past six, seven years, from 25 to begin with. Yeah, now we have about 70, 75 every Sabbath. Okay, so that's a threefold increase in what you, the numbers you started with. Well, look, pray, praise the Lord for that. And that's uh, you've got some good faithful members there at that church. Yes, we do. And uh, this had been um, our 
desire that we have a congregation where we can hold on to what we as Adventists have valued all these years, you know, that we can worship in reverence. We can have music that is acceptable to the Lord, that doesn't distract us. Hmm. Um, we would, you know, be able to worship in truth, in spirit and truth. We would have sermons that will lift up our standards, that would, you know, present to us the love of Jesus and also at the same time tell us um, of things that we need to do to change ourselves, to, 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 you know, come closer to the Lord. And that is what our focus has been. And of course, at all times, Tim and I have um, made it very clear that we are here to work as a group of members, a congregation that is supportive of the world church. So no matter what problems may be there in the conference level or union or division, um, maybe the pastors are not up to the mark that people want, or there are issues here and there, but we need to support. This is our church. This is where God has called us. We are the remnant. There's no other church. We have to pay our tithes, our offerings, and pray for our leadership and work mm. so that God's word will go ahead and many, many souls may be won into his kingdom. I mean, but look, having such a, a great church is probably going to have a positive inf impact on families. Would you say that your family has been benefited by having a, a beautiful church like that to attend? Absolutely, Etienne. You know, I, I think the persons who have been blessed the most is uh, us. Uh, you know, my children and Rain and he, we have been growing, you know, as Tim and I have to take sermons every second, third week, uh, we have to dig into God's word. Reen is taking um, Bible studies on Friday evenings every week. So she has to prepare. She did the Revelation study. She did the Hebrew studies. And we're not theologians. <laughs> you know, we haven't been to um, any of our Adventist colleges to learn all these things. These things that we are learning is we have to sit with God's word and pray and say, Lord, show me. And of course, today we have people like Pastor Stephen Ball and we have, you know, great messages on audio verse uh, that we can listen to and then study and God teaches us. It's been such a wonderful blessing. And my children, they are blessed with Sabbath school. They are blessed with the community of believers that we interact with every week. Mm, that's beautiful. And and to obviously be drawn closer to the Lord, therefore draws us also closer to one another. And I think I've seen that when I was visiting with you guys just last month. That's right. It has been a beautiful, beautiful experience. You know, the highlight of my life has been this past six years uh, working together with all these lovely people, especially my brother, Tim. Uh, it's been absolutely fabulous as I've seen God working. And I'm filled with such great um, you know, excitement as I think of what, how much more God will and can do mm. if all of us commit ourselves to him and allow him to work uh, in our lives and through us in others' lives. Amen. Now we've we've spoken a little bit about your your journey, you know, your, your spiritual journey, and touched a little bit on your professional journey and your education. Perhaps you can elaborate a little bit more on your professional life. So uh, professionally, you see, what happened when I came from India is to be an anesthetist in India. So my you know mind, my brain was fixed on becoming an anesthetist again. I mean, what else could I do? Mm. And so. I tried getting into anesthesia, and but unfortunately, around that time, the Christchurch earthquakes um, started to happen, 
And so I wasn't comfortable going to Christchurch with my family. I thought, let me see what's going to go on there. And moving to North Ireland was going to be difficult too. And then we were going to have a little baby, the second one, Jeremy. And so Reen said, let's go to Invercargill. So we came over to Invercargill and I had to decide um, what I wanted to do from here. And so Invercargill, my choices were to get into medicine, internal medicine. So I said, all right, I'm going to do internal medicine and become a cardiologist perhaps. But then we got so heavily involved in the church here and we loved it so much that moving away from Invercargill just wasn't something I uh, wanted to do. And so if I wanted to continue my dream of becoming a cardiologist, I had to move out of Invercargill and go to a bigger hospital. And it was difficult. It was painful. But God led me into choosing um, the job of being a general practitioner which I wasn't too keen on, you know. I never thought I could sit and talk to people and, um, you know, spend so much of time with communicating. And mm. um, work is very rewarding, but it's challenging too. And around that time, I got involved with the hospice too. And so now here I am. I've become a general practitioner <laughs> and I work at the hospice. And uh, I am constantly in touch with my patients and they keep coming back to me we're developing a great rapport i managed to tell them about our health message we have people who have issues with their weight or their blood pressure and their diabetes and who else is a better person than the general practitioner to have an influence on lifestyle and so i tell them about lifestyle and if they are open i give them a, a copy of ministry of healing we do uh, health seminars here at church. So we've done it about 11 times, 11 series, I should say. Each series about six to eight uh, weeks in a uh, you know row. And then we teach them healthy dishes. Our members are joined together. We teach them how to do vegan um, dishes, healthy ones. And then we also um, then invite them to come to church or join us for Bible studies. And so that has been wonderful working as a GP. Look, that's that's wonderful. So your career has taken a slightly different turn, but you can see God's hand in it. And also it's, it's been able to release you to have a little bit more time to spend on working for the Lord at Wicklow Seventh-day Adventist Church. I guess that would have been a great joy to see Wicklow Church being formed first as a company and then as a church and being part of that growth. Absolutely. You know, it has been an absolute honor and privilege for me um, to be part of this uh, beautiful, beautiful work of God here. I It was my greatest joy when we became an established church and when we were accepted into the sisterhood of churches. Um, if someone was to ask me, what is that one thing in your life um, that you would say was a highlight I would say, um, being able to be part of Wicklow Street Church and be able to lead out. Wow. Okay, so that's how significant it's been in your life. With all the highlights and all the places you've lived, you're now in Invercargill, and this is the highlight of your life, being part of the church and taking from a company to a church and being part now of the Sisterhood of Churches. That's right. Well, look, praise, praise the Lord for that. Uh, I guess you've learned a lot through uh, through the years, and you were mentioning you and Tim are working very closely together. Uh, what is your vision for where you think God may take you next? You know, Etienne, I wish I could tell you what God has planned for me. Right. <laughs> but, but he's always taken me by surprise. And the things that I planned, 
didn't quite happen the way I wanted. But if I look back uh, and I see now, I couldn't have done things any better. God has done so beautifully. But in the future, if it's God's will, we would like to continue planting churches in Southland. We would continue, we would want to continue building congregations and spread the word. Uh, Tim and I had planned that once we had established this church, we would then focus on the surrounding towns, uh, perhaps move to another uh, place where we could do our ministry, you know, uh, we could do the health ministry and attract people. I don't know what God has in plans in those terms, but again, we have also talked about how wonderful it would be if you could start a health retreat, maybe, you know, where people could come, a sanitarium kind of place, where they could come and stay. You know, the old days where Kellogg and Ellen White stayed, they had these places where people could come and get well. They would be taught health, healthy living and lifestyle changes. That'd be wonderful. But we don't know what God wants, but we are praying. We've made ourselves available. And if God makes it possible. He brings the opportunities. He brings the money and all that we need. It will happen, and we are here to do it. Well, praise the Lord. It sounds like some wonderful plans, but as you're saying, it's up to the Lord and where he leads, because quite often we'll make plans, but then the Lord may have better plans for us. That's right, exactly. Hmm. Well, look, we, uh, we are getting close to the end of our program, and just before we share our contact details... Is there anything you'd like to share just in regards to your learnings with starting a church? I guess the information and the learnings you've had there, wouldn't it be wonderful if you guys can reduplicate that and start up another church? Um, we learned, for one thing, that we need to submit everything to the Lord. Hmm. And if he wants a church to be established, he will make it possible. Many times it doesn't happen because we are the obstacles. We bring ourselves, our egos, we bring in um, our own ideas and our thoughts and our own ways of doing things, and that kind of stops God from moving ahead. Because the moment human nature is brought forth and elevated, God's work has to stop. Otherwise, God doesn't get the glory, you see. True. So if there are people out there who want to plant churches, who want to do God's work. And this is what I have learned, and I'm still learning. We need to put ourselves away, and we need to let God do his work. And he will use us in ways that we never knew we could, but he will use us for his glory. Mm, amen. Look, thank you very much for, for that, uh, and I appreciate you sharing your thoughts and ideas on it. Where You know, man's thinking can only go so far, but ultimately God knows the end from the beginning. He knows what's best for his cause, for his work, and what's best for us as well, for our own personal development. And that is such great, encouraging words and good counsel for us to take on board. But dear listener, you are listening to By the Word of Their Testimony. I am with Dr. Thomas Joseph, and he's sharing with us via Skype from Invercargill. And if you have any reason to contact us, whether you want prayer or you want to have more information or a copy even of this program, you're welcome to contact us on the following details. We'll be back right after this. Thank you for joining us on By the Word of Their Testimony. If you would like more information about today's program or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 0249733456 or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page 
We look forward to hearing from you. Dear listener, welcome back. We are closing off our discussion with Dr. Thomas Joseph, who's been sharing his testimony and what the Lord has done in his life. And he is with us online via Skype from Invercargill, New Zealand. Now, Thomas, just as we start to wrap it up, uh, perhaps you've got some closing thoughts in regards to how people deal with discouragement or, you know, when things don't seem to be going their way or they've got they've planned something one way and life takes a different turn. Yeah, you know, what do we want ultimately in life? We want to be saved, don't we? No matter what happens, no matter what difficulties we have, we want to be saved. When I was a young person, I had prayed, Lord, whatever it takes, save me. And God answers my prayer. And what he He has done as I've gone through these difficult times, I didn't realize why he was letting that happen. Now that I look back, he was preparing me. He was polishing me. He was making me ready so that when he comes in the clouds, I'll be ready to meet him. And we need to keep that in mind that God wants us to be saved. And everything he does in his providence is towards that goal. And if we have that in our minds, you know, it's like a roller coaster. You tell Lord, you lead me, and he takes you on a roller coaster ride. And as you're going through that, you can either scream in terror, or you can sit there holding the Lord's hand and say, Lord, you're in control. I know you're the one who's taking me and be at peace. I wish all of us would be able to trust him and be at peace as we go through these difficult times in lives, like as in a roller coaster. And God will prove to be faithful always. Wonderful. And with those closing remarks, I want to thank you, Dr. Thomas Joseph, for joining me via Skype today from New Zealand to share your testimony. Dear listener, we pray that you have been blessed by Thomas's testimony and also his good counsel for us. And uh, we pray that God continue to bless you, guide and lead you in your life as well as you seek for that meaning and that wonderful experience in walking with the Lord day to day. So until next time, may God continue to be with you and bless you. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.